welcome to Friday here on What the Truck. I'm Dooner with the dude. It's Michael Vincent. What's up, man? Hey, man. It is a beautiful spring day here in the heart of Freight Alley, right? And uh, what bam. a difference a day makes. Right on. I mean, brother. yesterday, you guys, you guys heard me talk about it. I I closed on the house and was supposed to do it yesterday at three thirty. Congratulations, man. Well, thank you, thank you. Little cowbell, little self cowbell. Uh, so closing on the house, right? Supposed to be doing it at three thirty. Yeah. Big tornado going through here, and we're in like we're in the five, which I guess is I'm not Nick Austin, right? No, but I guess that's a bad category, high risk you can get blown there. And then I'm thinking, I'm like, what happens if the tornado blows the house away before I sign the closing docs? Craig Fuller, title insurance expert, he was like, it's not yours, it hasn't conveyed to no, you yet. Don't sign it. No, if if it blows away, don't you didn't buy a, uh, <laughs> a vacant lot with uh, scrap lumber. I, well, right? I almost, but I almost got suezed by Mother Nature. This would have screwed up everything. I have movers coming today. My wife's dealing with all that. So I'm a little distracted during the show. I'll just try to stay focused because that's immediately what I'm doing afterwards. We've got a great one. we got Dan Lewis from Convoy, a bunch of other guests. Um, let's shout out to our sponsors. And then right before we go to Andrew Cox, and we're going to talk about inventory and that stuff, I want to take a little teaching moment here because I know freight's going mainstream like we always want it to. So let's tip the band, and we'll explain to you what a TEU is. So first off, this episode is brought to you by Legend Transportation, which has been establishing partnerships throughout standing customer service since 2007. Learn more at newlegendinc.com. Now, right now, bring up this visual we have here. So you're looking at this ship, right? It's the Ever Given. You're looking at this ship right here. It's the Ever Given, right? So you hear, you're probably reading all these articles, especially if you're not that familiar with freight or you're not that familiar with ocean shipping. You're like, what is a 20,000 TEU vessel? So Very big vessel as well. Yeah, quite, <laughs> quite simply, all that means is when you're looking at each row of containers right there, a full row is a 40-foot container. And then those are all stacked on top of each other. A 20-foot container is what's known as a TEU. So you can fit two of those in there. And if you notice, when you go with that 20-foot container freight, you might notice they're all near the bottom, Michael Vincent. That means that freight's getting off less. <laughs> so it's already delayed. But that's yeah. all they mean by TUs. So 20,000 TUs, it just means it can hold 20,000 of those 20-foot containers or uh, 10,000 of those 40-foots, but usually a combination of one or the two. Yeah, it's a, it's a unit of measure used for pricing and for uh, volume that a yeah. container can, can hold and at the ports, how many are in stack, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. that's all you're reading. But, but also, just as, as, a, as a visual of scale, Again, each one of those is 40 feet in length. Look how small it looks compared to that vessel that's bigger than the Empire State Building. Amazing. Yeah, and what you're seeing there is not a whole lot of the TEUs or containers that are on that ship. There's a lot below that waterline. Yeah. There's, there's a lot, too. It's, that's be an interesting thing is to talk to one of the load planners and, yeah. and talk to them about the, the, what it takes to actually load that ship and to plan it with all the different commodities that are coming in. Yeah. It's quite interesting. Let's talk to point of sales, Andrew Cox, who's joining us today at a great time. He covers, he covers the retail market heavily in his newsletter and in his podcast point of sale. You can find it on podcast players everywhere. You can subscribe to it at freightwaves.com slash P O S. But what's cool about having him on today is he's going to be talking to us about retail openings but also this impending inventory crisis. I don't know if you've tried to buy heavy goods or any of those things. So all these new stores are going to open. But Andrew, are they going to have any goods to put inside them? Well, that's the, the big question to answer right now. It's really difficult to get inventories into the country, especially on the West Coast. We've seen, we've talked about this at nauseum over the last couple months. The West Coast ports, uh, LA and Long Beach are extremely backed up. Uh, we, we're down from an all-time high of ships at bay, but still uh, 15, 20 ships awaiting berth there. So inventories are very difficult to get into the country from any mode. Uh, so you've seen retailers that are selling high-value goods uh, with a high enough cost. They've shifted towards air cargo in some cases. We've seen Peloton. 
Amazon and some of the um, exercise equipment companies that have come out and said they've pivoted toward their cargo to try to uh, alleviate some of the port congestion. But that's just not an answer for most retailers. Most retailers aren't, aren't selling goods where the unit economics make sense in air cargo. So they're kind of stuck playing the waiting game on the ocean. Others have tried to find alternative routes away from LA and Long Beach. We've seen the port of Oakland has had a huge influx of shipments and TEUs uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, uh, as an effect of this. Um, but again, just very difficult to get inventories in, into the country right now. We have inventory levels at the lowest point uh, on a uh, sales to inventory basis in 29 years, the lowest point right now. We didn't think that they could, they could go much further down from where they were in December, but they've come in even lower for January. Yeah, the inventory levels, uh, you know, trying to get these things in here is, is unbelievable. Um, I'm having trouble hearing what he's okay. saying in my ear, obviously. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so please, please excuse me. Please, all right. please excuse me. I thought, you were, I thought that was maybe a dramatic pause you were taking there as you were considering and, this great information. Be, that I, I, know, I know exactly what we're talking about here is trying to get these inventories in here and the struggles that we're possibly yes. going to have or are going to absolutely have. And yeah. we're hoping that we're going to be there. Some of the things that are very interesting to me, Andrew, talking with you and, and what's going on in the industry as far as those inventory levels is the fact that, you know, you're counting these inventories on the water or on the planes or on the trucks and, and going in there. And it's very interesting because what we were talking about earlier was switching from, uh, you know, to BOPIS or, or delivery out of these retail footprint stores, which we'll be yeah. talking about that in a minute, is some of those difficulties that I've experienced that firsthand recently where you're in the shopping cart trying to buy something and they don't know what's actually in inventory or moving in inventory, right? So it's very, it's kind of similar. Like they know it's in the store, but they know if it's, don't know if it's in somebody's cart or not. Okay. How do they solve that type of, that, that type of, of thing when you've got this type of information going on as well? Well, it's a, it's a good point you make about in-transit inventory, because that's a point that I wanted to make about Nike. So if you looked at their, uh, their they do fiscal um, earnings. So their fiscal third quarter ended February 28th. And if you look at their inventory uh, on hand, they you can see that inventory was up 40% year over year. But inventory at distribution centers is down 20% year over year. So the vast majority of that inventory that they have on hand is on the seas. It's in-transit on its way there. So uh, that is a big difficulty. Uh, and I want to say that I think... One of the big issues that has unraveled throughout COVID has been demand planning, both on the transportation side, but also on the retailer side, trying to, um, you know, disseminate through all of this chaotic, uh, chaos that we're trying to get through to determine what, what people are trying to buy. And I think that that is a structural issue that's been exasperated by COVID. I don't think that, I think demand planning has been a, a big problem for a long time. If you look back over the last 10 years, Retailers have constantly been buying too much, uh, creating too much, and having to sell at the end of the year with discounts. And through 2020, they learned that they don't have to do that as much. You know, you look back at what happened in COVID uh, in March. You, your sales went to zero, but so did your cost in a way. So you, you had a chance to reset and think about how we want to move forward as a retailer. And many retailers have decided that they're going to move forward with more prudence, ordering less, charging more, and making more. And they've learned a lot of lessons throughout COVID that I think many will take forward into the into 2021 i know that's not welcome news for uh, for for carriers who want uh, retailers to overorder so they can keep shipping as much goods as possible but uh, demand planning is certainly a big issue that's evolved throughout covid that that's been highlighted as more than just a structural issue uh, and it's going to be something really difficult to to figure out as an industry. I'm I'm out on Bopis and on grocery delivery. Like in the beginning of the pandemic back in the days when you used to like wipe everything down with the Clorox wipe, the avocados, yeah. the bananas, everything. It was fine, but speaking of those avocados and bananas, my problem is they are not hyper vigilant. These pickers, they are not hyper vigilant about the produce that they give you. 
No, they don't treat not. produce purchasing with the amount of intensity that I do, and it causes conflicts within the Dooner household. So we have to we have to risk it for the biscuit and go into the grocery store. So I'm not I'm not long on the delivery and all that stuff. And I actually isn't it older people as well. Like 65 plus, Andrew, who have kind of already tapped out, they're like, you know what? I like shopping. I like the experience of shopping for groceries. Yeah, a couple of points. We actually have seen the traditionalists, the oldest generation in the country, since they are the ones most likely to be vaccinated at this point. We have seen that their behaviors have changed a lot since the vaccinations have rolled out. We've seen more spending at restaurants, more spending at grocery stores. We've also seen um, the Bank of America data is showing six times as much spending on airlines for the older generation now compared to June of 2020. So people are the older generations are getting out and uh, and 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 getting on the getting on airlines and seeing their families. But when it comes to Bopus and curbs I'd pick up. Um, <clears throat> I think Bopis, I think that, that you're right about that. The retailers do need to do a better job of training their employees to select better fruit and veg. Uh, I think that's one thing that Instacart has been very, um, that's been a very important point for them. They've done retraining and even overtraining to try to ensure that they're that their pickers know what to pick, but that is a huge issue for a lot of people uh, that that do delivery. That's why I think um, I think that they will figure it out. I think Walmart and, and Target and Kroger they will continually get better at training their people to pick better fruit, and that's why I think Bopus uh, eventually makes more sense. We can get into that uh, as if you want to, but I don't think same store or same day delivery has as much uh, of a benefit post COVID when people can just go and pick it up curbside. But I've been writing about that quite a bit. Wow. Hey, thanks, Andrew. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Mate, if you want more insights like that on the retail market, check out his podcast, Point of Sale, available on podcast players everywhere or on Freightcast, where you can find every single Freightways podcast all in one feed and subscribe to his newsletter as well. Have a great weekend, young man. We'll see you next week on Midday Market Update, I bet. Yeah, usually where he shows up. That's usually the beach he washes up on. (laughs) It is. All right, let's talk to you. You know what we're going to talk to now? We're going to talk to Dan Lewis. He's the CEO and founder of Convoy, a company that a lot of people in freight are fascinated with. They've raised 666 or nearly $666 million in a number of series and funding rounds. Big bucks for for big digital freight, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hey, Dan, thanks for joining us today. And, and uh, it's, it's, it's going to be fun to hear a little bit of the Convoy story and some of your story as well. Yeah, super nice to meet you guys. Thanks for having me on here. Now, I love that shirt. And for a second there, I was like, is that a Dogecoin shirt? But it's not. It's actually a, a <laughs> wolves barking at the moon convoy shirt, is it not? It is. Uh, so this was designed by someone named Ari Bixhorn at Convoy. He's one of our marketing leaders. Um, every year we have a moonshot week. So we spend a week. People can build whatever they want, do crazy projects. A lot of the projects have become kind of art. So this year he created the winning moonshot logo design. Wow. So, hey, before we move on from that, because that's kind of interesting, when did you decide to come up with that program? And it sounds like it's been successful. Yeah, it's been really successful. Um, I think the first year we did it was 2018. And it was, and that shirt was actually cool. I wish I had it with me. It was a kind of the ET shirt with a truck going over the moon. Ooh. So I'll, I'll send you guys one of those. It's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Um, the uh, But what happened was, it originally started as something where, you know, the technology teams, product and engineering, were thinking about, let's take a kind of a hack week. Let's work on whatever kind of is on our mind. Let's think big. Let's do some cool stuff. And then the whole company got involved. And you had, you know, people doing just really fun projects. One thing, we drove a big truck onto Westlake Plaza in downtown Seattle. And everyone from the company came out and signed the side of it with this big sheet on the side. as kind of like a, to commemorate the year. Um, you know, we've done... Really cool artwork, as, as you can see, and a bunch of other things around the office we've done really cool. And all the way down to like building new algorithms for our pricing model or building a new app for truck drivers, just all sorts of stuff that's really cool that comes out of those weeks. 
That's a really cool a idea. A lot of our ideas come from there, honestly. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Is is it just freeform, open, just go for creativity? Or is it like a hackathon where you give a specific type of, or a couple different themes where you can work on different things and, and that type of stuff? Honestly, it's really open-ended. We end up grouping everything into themes. I think we had 80-something projects last time we did it. And we have judges, and then we have awards we give out. We give out you know, 10, 11 kind of moonshot awards every year. And uh, different teams compete for those. And you can do it. We, we did someone... Everything from somebody creating a petting zoo in the office and having people's kids come in to murals, to the truck and the thing, to the a really, really cool new uh, algorithm for how to improve kind of routing and pricing um, for our business. So it can run the whole gamut. Um, and it's it's really fun. It's definitely the most fun week at Convoy. Hey, Dan, talk to us about your background a little bit, because I was, I was looking at this here and it looks like you spent some time in Chile. You went to college out there for a little while. You were even an intern to the governor of a region in Chile, and you went to Yale as well, where you studied Spanish. So what is your background and what led you in that direction? Yeah, that's that's interesting. So my background is I grew up in Seattle. I'm one of five kids. Um, my mom uh, is an ESL teacher. So when I and also that just general interest in culture and language. So when I was growing up, we hosted a lot of Eastern European immigrants and refugees coming to the United States in the 80s. Um, and then after that, we hosted a lot of, you know, just foreign students and families that wanted to come here. And so you can imagine a pretty busy household with five kids and then other people living there. Uh, I think I didn't realize at the time, you know, I, I remember an entire year of eating borscht and pierogies and just like <laughs> being indoctrinated in like a Russian culture, like Ukrainian, whatever. And then as I grew up, I, I just really loved the idea of, of language and culture. So I wanted to go explore it. At college, I studied uh, Spanish and psychology. That was where I put most of my energy. And then in cognitive science was the specific focus area. And then I took a year off and went to Chile to learn something new, pick up, you know, learn Spanish um, and just explore the world a bit. And I just wanted to have that experience for myself personally, because I'd grown up with people coming to my home in Seattle here having that experience. That's awesome. So you traded in the pierogies for some empanadas. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I, I like it. Empanadas. I like yeah. it. So li He's listen, so. you guys, so as you know, you guys have raised 660 million some odd dollars, which sounds like a ton of money, but, but is it really, and how cost intensive is it to scale a business like you guys are doing there at Convoy? It's, it's pretty cost intensive to scale a managed marketplace between two business sides. So especially when you're doing it in a way that's different, you're building a lot of technology. Um, we have a, a, large software engineering, data science, machine learning team, um, you know, product development, product design, everything. And we're built, we build all of our own technology effectively. And then we build a marketplace, right? So we have a bunch of shippers that are working with Convoy directly and we have relationships with them. Truck drivers, we're responsible for the success of the outcome. We're managing a trailer pool. So to kind of build all these pieces in parallel and get this to scale pretty quickly, we invest a lot in, in the people behind that. Um, and, you know, I think that's necessary to really kind of rethink an industry. If we did it the way it's always been done, it actually would have been a lot cheaper and a lot faster, probably. But when you're trying to do something different, it, it does take money and it takes a lot of time and energy. You know, you've mentioned people several times and your interest in people and cultures and our own Kevin Hill here. He actually has an anthropology background before getting into freight. And I actually interviewed him on one of the first Freight Waves Insiders. And he was telling me that the movement of people and the movement of goods very similar throughout throughout history. And there's such a relation between the two. But you're the founder of Convoy. So before we even get any deeper into Convoy, tell us the story behind that at some point. After you're in Chile, you get back to the United States. When did this idea come together? What was your moment like, I have to do this company? Yeah. So 
you know, I came back, did a bunch of different jobs. After college, I did, I worked in management consulting for a while. And that gave me the opportunity to work not only with technology companies, which I did quite a bit of, but a lot of companies that were more in the manufacturing or supply chain or tra transportation world. So I ended up living in Spain and working on an airline over there for about a year. I, I got to work with the Panama Canal. I uh, lived in Panama, Mexico for that for a while, thinking about transportation logistics, um, a bunch of stuff with different airlines and manufacturing maintenance in the United States. And so that was sort of my first experience with that. Then I went, I moved back to Seattle. I had my first uh, kid 12 years ago. So I have 12 and 10 year old daughters. Moved back to Seattle to be around my family for that. Um, and went to Microsoft. And over, there's a fun, crazy story because that was actually right after October 2008 when I joined. So I was trying to find a job during the you know, massive uh, economic crash. Um, but got, got, into, got into Microsoft, started learning about technology and then said, you know what? Um, fast forward a bit. I'm at Amazon. I see the power of the supply chain. I actually had this moment where I was like, the supply chain is winning. If you kind of think about um, what mattered to people uh, for buying, it, it was becoming less and less about the location of the store, the sales staff, the experience. It was how fast can this show up in my house? And the faster it showed up, the the fewer options somebody had because they're going to go with the service that can deliver it the fastest if they're looking for something. So the supply chain was so powerful at changing consumer behavior. And I really felt like there was going to be a huge amount of innovation because everyone else in the world is going to say, look, either the supply chain is an advantage for me and it's helping me, or I'm probably going to be disrupted by somebody else using the supply chain to, to outmaneuver me or, or improve their service versus mine. And so it felt like that was where a lot of innovation was going to happen. So that's where Convoy came from. I, I left Amazon. I spent six weeks just calling uh, everybody I knew from freight when I was consulting. I called a lot of the folks who had actually come and lived in my home um, from Eastern Europe. They became truck drivers, some of them. Uh, I, you know, Went to truck stops, went to warehouses. I've told this story a few times. I got kicked out of the Whole Foods warehouse, just started wandering around it, asking people questions. And they were like, why are you here? <laughs> I didn't know exactly what to do. I just wanted to talk to people. And I had, you know, 100, 200 conversations over that six weeks. And I realized that there was a lot happening in the supply chain. And in particular, in trucking and in truckload, it was very opaque. There was not a lot of deep trust between you know, the drivers, the small carriers, the brokers, the shippers, there was just a lot of misinformation uh, and, and mistrust. And it's not like everybody wasn't trying really hard to make it work. You know, trucking, effectively, things get where they need to go. So it is working. And there is a big successful industry around the trucking world. But a lot of stuff was really inefficient. There was a lot of waste and there was a lot of heartburn by the different participants. And we felt that with smartphones, Finally, in the hands of truck drivers in 2014, 2015, there was an opportunity to completely disrupt you know, the way that business is done because all of a sudden you have visibility into where the truck is. You have a two-way communication with the driver and you can collect all this data that helps the shipper and you can really start to rethink things. So, you know, I don't think this was a convoy wasn't a, you know, a problem that we discovered. The problem had existed in the industry for decades and people knew that it needed to get better and get solved. There just wasn't a way to do it. And then we started right when technology was in the right hands, data science, all that stuff coming online, had the right technology and operations backgrounds, pulled it together. You know, so that's the kind of the story of how Convoy came about and, and my journey since since early, early days.
It's very interesting how you see that an, an idea like that 15, 10 years earlier would not have worked because, like you said, the proliferation of the handheld devices, et cetera, and the, and the phones. You mentioned the Panama Canal and you mentioned, you know, the efficiencies, inefficiencies in truckload and surface transportation. Uh, we've had a lot of disruption on the West Coast with the ports and backup, et cetera. And now we've got the Suez Canal issue that's going on. Talk to us about the customer concerns that you're hearing about with, from this delay that is going on and the potential for this bullwhip effect that's going to come from this. It's just uncertainty and unpredictability. You know, when you're thinking about a supply chain, there is always going to be some level of disruption. But the more certainty and predictability you can have as to when things are going to ship, where they're going to be, um, the better you can serve your customer, right? It all comes down to what your customer is expecting. They're expecting something on a certain day or they're expecting something to be available in a store. Um, and everybody wants to be able to say when that can happen because that's really how people run their businesses. And this just creates a huge amount of uncertainty and unpredictability. And I think that's the biggest concern is you can't plan as well and you can't make commitments to your own customers. Yeah, I mean, that was almost in your thesis when you were starting Convoy. I mean, it's it's not the yeah. Suez Canal, it's not the West Coast port crisis, but it is the supply chain, the circulatory system of nearly every business that sells anything or has to move goods. And it's constantly prone to disruption because we're, we're, always, a, we're always a hair away from some sort of disaster happening, aren't we? I think, I guess, yes, because we've seen it happen so many times yeah. in the last, I mean, last five years, how many different significant disruptions have there been to the freight industry driven by external factors? I mean, countless. And they're happening again. Who would have predicted a, a ship would have been stuck in the Suez Canal, right? <laughs> and so there's, there are so many things that are unpredictable. Um, I mean, that's how I think about our business too. You know, what, what's most important is, is having a resilient culture, having an innovative culture, having a culture where people are having fun, but they also care about their work and you're hiring great people. Because when I think about leadership and, and companies, you know, people always ask, what is the greatest risk or what are you most worried about? And I kind of think, you know, if I could name them all, that'd be great. But there's 50 I can't name because I don't know about them and they're going to happen over the next two to three years. And the way I can solve for that is by having great people and great culture, because those are going to be the people who are making decisions over the next couple of years when these next hundred problems show up. So I really just focus on that. And I think in an unpredictable world, um, you know, we need to build technology to help us make decisions faster, automate things, reduce waste, make things efficient. And we also have to remember that, you know, companies are made up of great people and a culture, and both are going to be super critical for, you know, the disruption and the improvement of the freight industry. It's both tech and people working together really well. And I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that we talked about here before is is the the difference, you know, the that fine line between automation and and the human touch, the mm -hmm. human interaction. Can you speak that? How do you keep managing that, and how important is that in in your business? I mean, you talk about the internal business. Obviously, you need great people for great ideation and developing, but the interface with your customer between digital freight matching and then that human touch. Yeah, because I mean, when people shoot arrows at a business like like yours as well, they always they always try to rest that argument on, right. well, there has to be humans there. This is a business built on relationships. I mean, we've heard it so many times as if Convoy doesn't employ a ton of employees. Yeah, there, there certainly are people at Convoy. I mean, we have incredible people that spend time uh, working to solve the problems that come up with our with our shipper customers, other partners who work with carriers, drivers, et cetera. Really, though. If you if you were to take let's say the whole experience of running freight and break it into fifty parts, some of those parts don't need to be done by a person. And in fact, if you could automate them, 
And a computer could decide, well, in this situation, this is actually the right price. Or in this situation, this is the right truck. And we should stitch these three jobs together because the appointment times match up correctly and the locations match up. And therefore, we should offer that as one job to a truck. You know, And then let's take this rate that the truck bids on automatically so you know it's a fair rate. Like Those sort of things can happen really quickly. Tracking, we shouldn't have someone... You know, there are call centers where people call trucks and say, where are you every four hours? And the truck driver reports where they are and they pass that, they put that into the TMS or they pass it back in the spreadsheet. That shouldn't probably be done by a person because it's slower, it's less efficient, it's wasting time. That person should be doing something more value added and thinking about, or like ideally the, the resource should be we, of a company should be spent on things that are more value added. So maybe taking the data back that's collected and analyzing it and trying to improve something, right? There's always something that, that could be better and more efficient. We're never going to run out of, I think, inefficiencies and problems to solve in freight. So let's make sure the really straightforward things are automated and we can put all of our energy into the more complicated, challenging, you know, judgment-driven things. And that's where I think the balance is. So the per- let's, let's say that the percentage is, this is not the percentage, but if I were to say like 50% of what we do is automated today, you know, let's get that to 60, then 70, then 80. And then the other pieces, you can invest more and more time and you can go do new things too. You're not just stuck with what you're doing. So that's what I think about the balance. It's not one or the other. It's just a matter of um, continuing to get better and pick off more and more things and then investing our, our people and our resources in the next challenge and the next complicated thing and pushing forward. And yeah, I think if we look at supply chain all up, there's probably an infinite number of problems to go solve there. So we're not going to run out of things that we can apply our team to go solve. Dan, what is the biggest challenge that you've faced at at Convoy in this um, you know, half decade or so that that since your founding? I think the man, that's a big question. Yeah. What is the greatest challenge of your life? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh so I think I mean one just learning how to be a CEO and scale a business, right? Just lo- like honestly for me personally, how do you what does it mean to hire a great leadership team and to develop and improve that team over time? What does it mean to go raise money? Should you do that or not? Just all the decisions and and uh, things that go into trying to build a company and a culture and all that stuff. That's been extremely interesting, fascinating, and super challenging as a, as a new CEO. So how um, did you, well, I got to ask, how did you get those answers? Did you have a, did you have a mentor? Did you, you mentioned you reached out to the freight community before you started all this. Yeah. So I've had great mentors all along the way. Um, and it is in my kind of what my part of my personality and instincts is definitely to reach out and ask people questions if I'm not sure what to do. And so there are other founders and entrepreneurs that I've worked with in the past that I spent a lot of time asking questions of when I was starting the company about how to do this. I'd worked at a different startup um, a couple times before. You know, we had the early investors that got involved, kind of became mentors and advisors as well. You know, our board of directors is you know an oversight group, but they're also really, really uh, helpful in terms of thinking about how to start and run a company. Many of them have been entrepreneurs, founders, CEOs themselves. So I think that that's helped. And in the freight business, we just had, I think, I did reach out to a lot of folks when I was starting this. And I think also, to be honest, like part of it's just the attitude and approach we took. I feel very humbled to be able to build this company. And I'm very fortunate that like the timing of it was just right. I mentioned the 2014, 2015. I don't think, like I said, I was the first one to ever come up with this idea. I think this these ideas that we're thinking about have been bouncing around for years. And people have thought about them in different ways with different available technologies. And that's kind of how I've, that's what I believe. And so I've, I have a lot of respect for all of the 
other founders, CEOs, innovators in freight for the last three decades. And so much has happened. And so when I've had a chance to meet those leaders, you know, I don't come in with a, hey, here's how much smarter we are. It's more like we're, we're in a really different point in time. There's new tools at our disposal. The problems are clear for us and we have a greenfield start. And that's a really big advantage. But I, I also see and respect for a lot of other folks too. So I think those two, being able to do that in the freight world genuinely and in the tech world genuinely has given me a lot of um, people that I can call on to learn and, and, and get better on both sides of, of the, the business. Yeah, it's hard to call out leaders in a business from the 80s when they couldn't even send a message digitally between terminals, et cetera, right? You can't really, yeah, yeah. They, they were doing some great, some great stuff. And, and talking about the innovations that are going on in the, in the digital freight brokers, et cetera, is the traditional uh, freight broker going to be extinct? And, and how long do you think it will be before it's just completely gone? I think, yeah, I mean, when we think about quote unquote traditional freight broker, there's a wide range. It's, you know, there's a lot of different versions right now. Um, I do think that the way I kind of think about it is like hundreds of billions of dollars is spent on, on freight transportation every year. Over the next decade or two, you know, that's all going to shift to companies that are able to do that in an efficient, visible, digital way where they can have a lot of you know, flexibility, accountability, provide that transparency back to their customers and kind of are operating with a, a really kind of high level modern version of um, you know, analyzing the data, providing location information, really high communication, all that stuff. So it's gonna shift that way. Where we call it a digital freight network because we our, our vision is let's connect every endpoint, every truck, the shippers, all the participants into our into our network, and then connect it and create efficiencies and reduce waste. That's where I think it's going. But definitely, it's going to move from the, the classic traditional to companies that are tech have a lot of technology. And there's going to be a spectrum of what those are, but it's moving in that direction. Yeah, we hear it. Well, before we let you go, we'd be remiss if we didn't give the wheel one spin. Round and round it goes. Mm -hmm. Word stops. No one knows. Here we go. From the wheel of stupid questions, if you had to be stuck in an elevator for eight hours with one person in supply chain, who would it be? In supply chain, see, I had a, I had a totally different answer. I, uh, I think I would want to be stuck with. Well, I got to remember uh, someone I've never actually met or spent time with is Brad Jacobs. Oh, and I think I think he's like. Whenever I watch videos of him, he's got some really strong opinions. Big thinker, never met the guy. I think it'd be fun to like, I don't know, debate and spar for like an hour in an elevator, or just like learn a bunch from hearing how he thinks about the world and like how he brings things together. That's that's just because I haven't met him before. I think it'd be fun. There's a bunch of other super smart people I'd want to hang out with, but I think I'd want to meet that guy. <laughs> I think, hey, that was a good choice. He was at yeah. Transparency 19, um, one of our last live events we had here. And he, uh, he ran out on stage. He threw away the script and everything. And he said, open forum, anyone in the audience ask questions, which was, was great. He can move on his feet, so he'd be great to be stuck in an elevator with. Dan, people want to learn more about Convoy. They want to get into your digital network. Where do we send them to? Convoy.com. Convoy.com. It's that simple. Dan, thank you so yeah. much for joining us on the show. We'd love to have you back in the future. Take care and have a great weekend. All right, guys. Thank you. Nice to meet y'all. Take it easy. Thanks, Dan. Hey, now we're going to talk to another gentleman here. Well, actually, before we do. Again, we'd like to thank our friends at Legend Transportation for sponsoring today's episode. Legend partners with strategic customers while providing seamless solutions for its drivers and its West Regional's premier freight transportation company. Learn more at newlegendinc.com. And right now we have Chris Lee. TV. He is the online CDL coach, and he's telling drivers 
how to go get that money. Chris, thanks for joining us. What's up? What's up? Um, Tuner, uh, the dude, right? Yeah, that's right. On, guys? Where, are you, where are you chilling right now? Where are you at? I'm at home. Um, I'm out of the truck at the moment. I'm taking some time off to uh, just work out and get my mind right, get my brand uh, a little bit more beefed up. You've been writing that you've I'm been on, the house. on Twitter. You've been saying you've been running from to- from yeah. tornadoes for the past couple of weeks. Right here in Chattanooga, we almost had a series run through. So maybe it's a good idea you hunker yeah. down. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that uh, to see that you guys are safe. But yeah, I, um, actually, when I left the company that was previously at a flatbed company, they were out of Natchez, Mississippi, and I got caught in some tornadoes out there. I actually uh, got a rental car and drove back to Texas where I live. And they follow me like it's just like going across the United States. They're going like from east to west, and it's just hard to get out of them right now. So I hope everybody's safe. Yeah, it's crazy. You need some rest there, running from those, <laughs> running from from those. Yeah, days. right. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing you weren't from around this area or Alabama yesterday, because there was no rest here. You you were watching things like wow. crazy, watching things like crazy. So hey, tell us about what you're doing there. How do you actually help uh, get? Uh, how do you help people get their, their CDL and save $10,000 their first year trucking, I guess, is what you write about. Okay. There. Yeah, yeah. So that was um, one of the things that I found, like, was a, a huge, like, like, thing to get over is, in trucking is, like, hearing guys talk about not being able to save money. But obviously, there's money in the miles. There's money in trucking. There's so much money out here for people to get. Once you have that CDL, um, it's like a, a, a Willy Wonka golden ticket, right? And you just have to know what to do with it. And when I got my CDL in 2017, there wasn't like a guide on, hey, like, this is what you do. Uh, This is where you save money. This is how you uh, kind of prepare yourself for the industry. So that's what I wanted to do is kind of be that, shed some light on that. I actually got my CDL for free. Um, So when you come into the industry, a lot of people have to go in debt uh, to get that, like, kind of free CDL. Um, And that's an option for people. That's definitely not something that I knock. Everyone has their, their own pathway of getting into the industry. But... There's still ways, like uh, no matter how you get your CDL, to save money. So I do like a, a $200 a, a week because we get paid uh, weekly. So if you do $200 a week at 52 weeks, that's a little over 10K, right? So that's the secret. That's my secret. <laughs> that's the cat's out the bag. Like, yeah. I mean, it sounds good at really scale, simple. but when you're like, you're only going to make $20 more a week, that's not as good of a, a marketing catchphrase. No, it's really not. Like, well, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. It's that Netflix. No, but I hear you, and it, it all adds up. You know, what, we just talked to Dan Lewis from Convoy, right? Founder of Convoy. Mm-hmm. Companies raised over $666 million. We asked him what was the biggest challenge of building the company was. And it's it's something that I think people sometimes forget, that we're all humans and we all experience the same things. We don't know the answers to what we don't know. And he said his biggest right. problem was like, do, I don't know how to go raise Do Am I supposed to go raise money now? When do I do? What does that mean? How do, how do I hire? How do I do my staff? Mm-hmm. Same thing for truck drivers. What are the mistakes that you think drivers make in their first year and what questions are they afraid to ask because they don't want to sound stupid or like they don't know what they're doing um facebook will let you know if you like <laughs> when you're putting uh questions in facebook they'll let you know like uh, as far as like some of those things that try i think drivers have issues actually becoming vocal about is like maybe what endorsements to get whether uh like what kind of truck you need to drive like if should I drive a, a, a standard or automatic, like, um, like just really simple things. I think that, uh, people who have, a, are a little bit more seasoned in the industry. We, we think it's like a, a simple answer, super simple day to day for us. Like make sure you do your preacher and make sure you're checking your tires before you take off. Make sure you have uh radiator fluid before your truck you know, stops on the highway out of the blue. Like, 
like those simple things that we see every day and we do it on a routine uh, for new drivers. It's not as routine. Actually, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a tough industry. Like it's a big shift on a normal lifestyle. So that's, those are some of the things that I try to kind of incorporate on, on my YouTube channel and my blog and things like that. And then, like you said, on Twitter, just letting new guys know like, Hey, it's okay to ask these questions that you might think aren't you know what I'm saying, the best questions. So there's a lot of technical things that you talked about there and knowing how to prep your truck and what to do with that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So talk about the the newbies out there. And my kids yell this because they play like, you know, uh, Roblox and stuff. Save <laughs> yeah. the noobs. Save the, the noobs. noobs. And the bots. Yeah. Yeah. Save the noobs. <laughs> I've been playing yelling. a lot of that with my son. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's, it's quite fun. It's quite fun. So talk about uh, uh, what the noobs in trucking can be duped into doing and, and some of those type of things that are not outside side just you know oil or doing a pre-trip but that type of stuff but they get sucked into some of these things that uh uh are not so not so good not that that hurt them financially etc okay um so it's fine as far as like financial hurdles i think when when guys get into the industry they have like an idea of like what they want uh like i got into industry well not me personally but i've heard these things like i got into the industry to like buy a car like an expensive car and i'm just like it's not that particularly easy to just get in the truck and, and make that money your first year. People like want to make a hundred thousand dollars. Six figures is like a huge thing. Like when guys come into the industry, like if I don't do six figures uh, in my first year, then what am I doing this for? Like it takes time to kind of build up and get that knowledge to do things at scale like that. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things that I've seen, like people wanting to make that, that number. That's why like I've, I've done that in my second year. It wasn't something that I was planning on doing, but it like it just happened, right? At the end of the year, taxes came. Hey, CPS, like you made a hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, how do we make it better, right? That wasn't the best year I had when I made that six figures. So it wasn't actually made less this last year, and did better, right? So it's mm-hmm. not always like what you make. For me, it's what you save, like what you can kind of put away and for that rainy day fund and invest and stuff like that. Like I think um that's another thing i push is like a lot of investing like put the money away and like get life insurance and stuff like that like take care of the basic stuff and then like go on top of that and build what what do you do when you have a bad student who instead of making that extra ten thousand dollars a year they lose ten thousand dollars a year or, or or more what do you do with those guys um let's, i like to try and keep it simple i haven't had anyone come out and say like i haven't you know made uh ten thousand dollars listening to like what I, I guess preach about is just like save 200 bucks a week. Like you, if you go from minimum wage, you go from like say McDonald's, you're making whatever minimum wage is, but you're bringing home like 1200 a month. And now you're making 1200 a week and you can't put away 200 bucks a week. Like you, you, you actually have never seen that $200, right? So let's like keep a blind eye to it. Let's put on blinders. Let's not do anything to it. Um, one of the ways I say is just like automatically have it taken out of your check, like open up a separate checking account. Uh, when you're filling out the direct deposit form or your job, Hey, make sure $200 every week is coming out of this check going over there somewhere. I can't see, can't touch, can't, you know, access. Awesome, man. Well, if drivers are listening and people considering getting a, a CDL, where should we send them to so they can experience your course? Uh, you can send them to my website. I have a, like a lot of free content on my website as far as like how to get your CDL for free. Sure. Uh, the same way I did it. Um, and just like blogs on things that I'm doing and things that's going on in my life um, that I think are kind of helpful to drivers. I have like uh, how to get your CDL for free, how to 
pass this the pre-trip inspection, how to pass the written test, like just really basic stuff. Um, if you want to get into more of a like one-on-one coaching with me, then that's where that kind of paid stuff goes. And then you can also find that on my website, chrisleetv.com. Thank you so much, Chris. Have a great weekend and stay safe from those tornadoes, brother. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you guys. You too. Thanks, man. Take care. Now we're going to talk to Vitaly Baker, right? He is a senior transportation analyst at Aritzia. Talking about fashion. I used to work for Talbots for a little while. And fashion, a lot of people may not know this, but when you think about it, it's pretty obvious. It's like perishables. Yeah. Clothing is seasonal. And clothing has very short windows before it has to get steeply discounted, sent off to the discount stores, ends up not even being used. It's a challenging, challenging industry with almost the same demands on it that you have when you're dealing with fresh fish or produce or any other commodity that can spoil with time and age. Vitaly, thank you for joining us on the show today. Was that, was that about correct? I mean, fashion's a bit like perishables, right? You only have so much time to get this in stores, to meet the, ca- to meet the catalogs, to meet the marketing, all of those super, super important things. Yeah, fashion's very seasonal, right? There's uh, new styles every year. There's different styles every season. Uh, so yeah, very, it's very dynamic, very fluid like that. Very interesting. So Vitaly, let's talk about your entry and a little bit of background on you and your entry into, uh, into the logistics of, of fashion and how you, how you fell into this industry. Cause we all kind of fall into this yeah. industry, right? Definitely. I got into it completely by accident. Um, I was your, you know, prototypical, I was that guy, uh, doing nothing with life in my late teens, early twenties. Um, Eventually started to get out of that mindset. So I said, hey, I'm going to go to school for to do paralegal, you know, some law. I got a trucking job. Well, I got a dispatch job on the weekends while going to school. And it wasn't until I graduated, became a paralegal, did it for a year that I realized, hey, you know, I like that other thing way more. And um, yeah, just started pursuing transportation more and more. Retail is the same thing. I mean, I definitely never thought I would be working for a fashion retailer even just working dispatch, but this is just kind of the way uh, life's taken me, so it's been pretty cool. I like your uh, your bio on, on LinkedIn. It's short and it's sweet, and it says, I like KPIs and quiet evenings. Someone dealing in, in high-performance uh, logistics, that is always a life goal to have those quiet evenings and not mm. people looking for their freight. But tell us a little bit about that. How do you improve your KPIs in fashion, and how do you deal with something like now, where there's 29 vessels that anchor in, in the port of in, in West Coast? There's going to be these ripple effects that happen from the Suez Canal, all risk factors for a company like yours. So, how do you have to deal with all this? Well, you know, there's different departments that deal with it. Uh, we're on the outbound side, so we, you know, personally, like we deal more with um, the merchandise once it's already arrived uh, in Canada and in the United States. But yeah. I think what's cool about supply chain is that supply chain really requires you to have a lot of foresight, um, a lot of uh, planning. So, you know, maybe COVID wasn't something you could plan for, but as the year has gone on, we've kind of had to deal with this year round anyway. So, you know, there's there's always plans in place. Um, you can only do so much to buffer um, and to temper expectation when it comes to inventory. But yeah, we do what we can, right? Like we. We, honestly, we rely on, on partners. Good partners is uh, kind of what, what what gets us there, right? Is um, uh, good visibility and, and always understanding where everything is and how long it's going to take and what it's going to take to get somewhere if it needs to be expedited. Now, I'll tell you something. There's probably salespeople listening. They're salivating right now. They're like, oh, I would love to get to, to, to have his this guy's freight. Someone like this is freight, right? They always yeah. want to get into that shipper. Yeah. What do they need, though, to be a good partner with a fashion company, especially one like yours that, that's sending clothing out, especially on that outbound side? 
what what are your core needs? It, it's you know we definitely have like specific pillars we look at. Um, I I personally put a lot of, of value on you know of course service right um, and driver responsibility. Let's call it right. Uh, we KPIs are very important in this industry. Um, retailers need to run lean, and in order to run lean, we have to be very good with you know, consolidating shipments and making sure that labor is aligned appropriately with the way that our transportation partners are delivering. So you're not wasting any money there. Um, yeah, it's it, services. Spending smart will always be important, but service and professionalism, visibility, right? Um, being proactive instead of reactive. These are all very important things that ultimately raise the price of, you know, service for a retail uh, company, but uh, they're very important to us because it allows us to succeed even through something like COVID. So is it, is it very important for these service providers that are dealing with you to, uh, that you deal with and, and become good partners with you to have an array of business or specialized in specific uh, areas? Like for instance, uh, more of a managed transportation, right? They can do truckload, they can do parcel, they can do returns, uh, warehousing, et cetera, versus a number of those that are uh, in those specific slots and niche businesses. It's always easier to have a complete solution, but reality is, most carriers, unless they're insanely huge, are going to be good at a very specific thing. And once you get down to something like White Glove, like retail mall deliveries, there's not a lot of carriers that can actually do that, right? There's not a lot of drivers that want to go inside a mall, deal with a dock, go to the back of a store, deliver packages, right? Um, that's it, It's a specialization that's not just specific to that niche, but also that region. Most, most carriers that are good at that are good at that in a specific region, and that's where they do it, right? So a lot of the times when we talk to new partners, or I talk to new partners, yeah, it's like, hey, like, what do you do before we even get to this discussion? Like, do, do you understand the intricacies of uh, retail deliveries? Yeah, I mean, we were talking to Andrew Cox to start this show, and he was talking about how this year was the first time in, or in a long time that more retail locations have opened than closed. And during the pandemic, uh, that was so lopsided on closures versus new store openings. But there's also this big rise of e-commerce. So my question to you is, are you seeing less freight on your docks because more of it is is being sent out through uh, integrators and parcel carriers? Or how does that work? I would say, I have to answer that in a more general state. But yeah, obviously, just even looking at something like a company's financials, like even, you know, Aritzia's financials are open to the world. You can take a look. Ecom is a is booming, just booming. I wouldn't necessarily even say that's taken away from inventory uh, elsewhere. The stores are still very important, but there's no doubt that e-commerce, uh, at least through the last year, has had a huge bump. And it makes sense, right? There are still places. For example, I live in Toronto, right? Toronto in Canada, and we are still technically locked down. Like we just got permission to start going to stores again two weeks ago three weeks ago, right? Before that, people had no choice. Uh, some carriers, some retailers won't even necessarily do curbside pickups, right? So you have to order it. Um, so e-commerce has been huge. So are you plan looking to the future? You're talking about just coming out of lockdown. Do you think that you'll uh, continue to grow in the in the e-commerce and kind of stay away from that brick and mortar store and, and those type of deliveries? Or, or do you think it's going to come back stronger than ever? Or where do you, where do you see that kind of mix happening? I think retailers that were already in a good position or positioned strongly will come out of this on top in, in both segments. And, and in fact, there's, if anything, there's going to be some voids to fill because a lot of retailers won't make it out of this long term, right? So 
Um, if anything, certain companies might see a bump in their retail, like specifically in the in the brick and mortar sector. But e-commerce for sure. I think a lot of people, just like with working from home, a lot of people are going to look at the last year and be like, well, why do I need to go to a mall? And why do I need to use my legs when I can just order it and get it sometimes the same day, right? A lot of people are doing that service now where they do that same day delivery. If you order in the morning, you're going to get it by the evening, right? So. I think that e-commerce will continue to be strong. I think e-commerce is already going to be the future to begin with. Um, uh, the COVID situation kind of just expedited that whole uh, shift. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I hate going to the store, Michael. And when I do, I, I, I'm not much of a browser. I'm like hunter-gatherer. I just go like what I need, get in and get out. Like, like, like yeah, no, I've already got a, I've got a plan. Yeah. I'm very efficient. Yeah. I don't go in and just browse unless it's like a music store. Yeah. Then I'll browse. Yeah, unless I'm like super bored and I just want to wander, yeah. Yeah. wander around. Yeah. Well, Vitaly, thank you so much for joining us. If people want to connect with you, talk more about the logistics and what drives the fashion industry, where should we send them to? Uh, just visit my uh, LinkedIn, Vitaly Becker. Uh, I'm usually pretty open. I, you know, I obviously talk to a lot of folks um, online uh, through there. Just reach out and we can have a chat. Thank you so much, man. Have a great weekend. Thanks, fellas. You too. Thanks, Vitaly. Take it easy. Hey, maybe we'll see him at F3. Hope we see all these people at F3. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah. You'll see me. I'll be there. Well, now it's time for a little bad news, good news. Now, there it is. Ah, the bad news and good news. Boom. Told you, once I get that Neuralink, just, just brain trigger. Yeah, that's It'll it. Be That'll be, yeah, the Neuralink. Have you ordered one? Here's the thing. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> people can't read my mind, right? Sometimes <laughs> I wish. It's I hard, too. Sometimes I, I try. Wish <laughs> I try. <laughs> well, they give clear instructions sometimes, though, I think. Yeah, whatever. Here we go. Good news. <laughs> good news. <laughs> You're getting out of Eastern Europe, and you guys talked about this a little earlier, right? You're getting out of Eastern Europe. You've been promised the American dream with a great paying job as a trucker. Maybe you, you know, you heard about Convoy. Maybe one of your buddies got recruited over there. Oh, wow. I, yeah, I heard he went over there. Maybe I'll go over there too. Well, drivers told Freightways that some recruiters said they could earn more money in a month hauling cars in America than they could make an entire year in their home countries. And some of those numbers were pretty startling it was something like drivers earn less than three thousand one hundred dollars in the ukraine a year yeah yeah so this is great I, I can make this in a month i come to america i'll figure it all out well here's the bad thing once in america the drivers told freight waves they found themselves trapped in alleged human trafficking schemes forced to drive seven days a week and up to 20 hours a day getting paid a fraction of what they were promised. The average yearly pay for a truck driver in Russia, as we said, was $4,700, $3,100 in the Ukraine. They're targeting this specifically with some of the language in these YouTube and Facebook ads as well. They know that number, so they're saying, oh, but you can make that in a week. You can make $3,000 per week transporting cars in the U.S. They jump into this opportunity. They get in there. Things like passports are allegedly taken away. Mm -hmm. Their families, they don't know how to get out of this situation. They are put into indentured servitude basically to get out of this. And one of the reasons we shine a light on this is because a lot of times when people think of human trafficking, they think that it's sex work, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. They really do. They think they think of certain things like that. Or when you talk about it in trucking, you think you're you're transporting humans, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Or or you're yeah you're throwing you're throwing a bunch of people in the back of a shipping container, yeah. sending them out overseas to some king on a boat, and then Liam Neeson has to go save your daughter. Yeah, exactly. But that's exactly. not all human trafficking. A lot no, of human trafficking not. is this indentured servitude that happens way too often in America, and that's what these drivers were speaking out against. Clarissa Haas has covered this very well on FreightWaves.com. Look up her articles. There was uh, that big story that we did on here that she had covered about that driver who wrote on his truck. 
Yeah, in Chicago. Yeah, you put it out there. Yeah. 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 You wrote a story. You said, I, I, save me. This company is, is coming after me. And um, it's a really tough situation. I believe he, so that guy was even taking a picture of him in a diner or something like that in Florida afterwards. And he got threats from that. So uh, here, here's some good news. E-commerce is, and demand is, is still booming. Yeah. As you, as you know, yeah. it probably is, right? I yeah, think we're that, talking all about that's it. That's great. So we're just, we're just talking about it with Vitaly. It's yeah. going, it's going crazy, right? The bad news is big box logistics warehouse tenants may be facing their most challenging year ever as a mix of strong e-commerce demand, tight supply, as we've been talking about that as well, and rising construction costs could drive up rents as much as 10%, according to an executive for real estate services giant CBRE Group Incorporated. Things are 10%. changing, and they're tough, 10%. Now, you've sold warehouse space before, right? I, uh, I I have, yes. Yeah, it's a challenge, right? I mean, when sure. I was with the place, it, it, when I was with the 3PL, th- warehouses weren't like our bread and butter so we had to sublet them and we had to you know we had to front end the business and those kind of things we had to white glove it a little bit but finding the perfect amount of space was always difficult and it always got more expensive especially in the los angeles area people were pushed out to the boundaries of of arizona and other places like that yeah absolutely now it's getting even more expensive michael vincent everything is getting more expensive transportation it's like it's like seven thousand dollars to send a container from asia to the united states now it's crazy it, 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 it really, I mean, well, the, I mean, logistics is is going through a tremendous uh, uh, transformation and these these hiccups that keep happening, like getting Suez, yeah. <laughs> right? Are, 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 I've said it before. It's like a super saturated uh, atmosphere. You throw one little piece of energy and it really magnifies right now. It's going it's going crazy. We had these in my experience back in the warehousing days when when uh, marijuana started to become uh, re- uh, legalized in yeah. cannabis, especially in Denver, man. Getting warehousing space for my previous business back in, out there went. It was insane. Oh, I thought you were all say- the warehousing was was caused. It was turned into into. And they were hydroponics and they were growing uh, marijuana. I thought you were going to say all the all the warehouse workers started smoking. Dope. Well, I mean, <laughs> decided they, not to come part- work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, they started. Okay. They quit. They quit and started working for dispensaries. Okay. Last thing you want to do is carry a box, man. After uh, some indica yeah, or no, something like that, do- you ain't driving a forklift. Hey, but you know what's interesting about this? So one of the things fueling this warehouse space, this shortage of warehouse space, and this demand for warehouse space is that grocery delivery that we keep talking about in the supply chain. Because those perishables and those short-term goods, they have to be kept somewhere. And now they're being kept in warehouses. And now we're also hearing about like Instacart doing, um, what's what do they call those, blank grocery stores or zombie grocery stores? Where yeah, basically, zombies. it's a grocery store that nobody goes and shops in except right. for the drivers who pick up your groceries. Yeah, they just go in and out and do and that. And the bags. That's yeah, all exactly. it's for. Exactly. And we had the other one, is it Walmart, that uh, just, it's only a Bopis store. Yeah. Right, so it's basically a warehouse and you just have people picking and, and bringing I prefer curbside out. over Bopis. I like to say Bopus. But doesn't curbside already say that? You just like saying Bopus. I just like saying Bopus. Oh. Here's a little good news to end on. All right. Easter's coming up, right? You've got a Pepsi. Whoa. What could be better than a Pepsi? To, Other um, than like Diet I, Coke, regular Coke. I've got a I don't know. number of things. Ab, RC Cola. <laughs> water. Uh, yeah, water. Water's really good. Water's well, either way, you got a Pepsi. Just play with me here on the bit. Right. You got a Pepsi. Water. Woohoo. No, Pepsi. Pepsi. Dang. Here's the bad news. The cr- it tastes Pepsi? like peeps. Oh. It tastes like Pepsi. Look at that thing. CNN reports that Pepsi and Peeves are collaborating on a new on a new drink that combines the two extra sweet flavors. The company's announced on Just Thursday. Don't, don't, the new don't. cola is dubbed Pepsi X Peeps, don't and it mixes it. the taste of Pepsi with the pillowy, soft, and sweet marshmallow flavors. It says it's the ideal accessory don't, and thirst no. quencher for springtime. Do you accessorize with your uh, with your soda can over there? Yeah. No. No, 
this is bad, dude. This you is... can't even buy this barf beverage. You have to. You have to win it. You, there's only oh, you have to win it. <laughs> only giving away three thousand packages of this. Sign thing. me up. You have to. You have to uh, use the hashtag hanging with my peeps, and um, y- you I might win this thing. And they, they say here, right? They said taste is really important to customers. They want sweet <laughs> and they want to connect to things emotionally. Peeps has its own subculture, and they want to tap into that Peeps subculture. Have you ever hung out with people in the Peeps subculture? No, no. I, I'm I'm gonna wait till the uh, the sugar free version comes out. That's got to be really tasty. <laughs> I mean, it's not, I mean, it kind of sounds like diabetes in a can. I gotta say, I, Peeps <laughs> and Pepsi. No, I don't. I don't know. Neither one of them do I like separate. So combine them, it might be really tasty. Now, do you like Peeps? No, I yeah, do I don't not. either. I don't like the marshmallow candy type of stuff. Have you microwaved them before? I have not. Yeah, I'm not that angry at them. I just don't. Pur- I purchase. I don't purchase them. So here's the question of the day. Here's the biggest question of the day. Why Have do you? Reese's peanut butter eggs taste so much better than every other shape they've put Reese's peanut butter in? I don't know, but they do. Yeah. They Is really it a ratio do. thing, you think? It might be a ratio thing, but you're absolutely right. They do. I like yeah. the Cadbury eggs, too. Do you? Oh, man. I love oh. it. Absolutely love oh, it. It's like a shot of corn syrup it right is. in your neck. I absolutely love it. Hey. I absolutely love it. Guess what we got coming up on Monday on the show, people? Another show that's out of this world. We're talking about moonshots. We're talking to NASA. Space logistics with NASA is going to be a good time. Because you know who we're talking to, too? The space-bound cargo bellhop, Bianca Rhyme. She's NASA electrical engineer supporting International Space Station cargo supply. That's going to be super cool. And then we have Randy Gordon, right? He's uh, the NASA deep space logistics cargo integrator manager. And you know what he also knows a bit about? Those space toilets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Space waste. What do you do with that waste? Well, the space waste and the space waste. (laughs) Both of those. But he's got 30 years of experience in in the business, so it's going to be a great time. We also have Omar Singh. He's the founder and president over at Surge Transportation. And I think he was on our last NASA episode, too. So he's been uh, pairing up with NASA with us these days. Yeah, he was on the last episode. I think he was, right? (laughs) He absolutely was. I love it. And then uh, Robert Moffat, he's the EVP and Director of Operations at Legend Transportation, our lovely sponsor on Freightways uh, for uh, the past month and a half here. Thank you very much, Legend. We're so excited to have you on the show. Wait to talk to him. And talk to you. Exactly. Guys, we also had um, we had a big virtual event this week on Wednesday. You can rewatch, you can relive the glory of all those sessions. Go to live.freightwaves.com, click on past events. Any past event, you just click on the session, you can go and watch it. But if you're like me, you like listening to these, Freightcast, every single Freightways podcast, all on one convenient feed, including all those event sessions. But you want just this show, look up What the Truck. You want me on Twitter, at Timothy Duna, that's D-O-O-N-E-R. You want him, that's Vincent the Dude. I got to get out of here and go move. He's going to help me bring a table over. What do you got to say? Peace and love, everybody. Peace and love.